We are up to mitzvah number 125, and today we're going to do mitzvah number 125 and 126. And again, we are in the book of Leviticus. So many of the mitzvahs that we are going to encounter are related to sacrifices and other things that happen in the temple. And of course, it's always hard for us as people who have not had the privilege as of the time of this recording of witnessing the temple in action and seeing sacrifices. We don't really have any semblance of an idea of what this actually looked like. But nevertheless, we try to get a picture of what it was like and what it, hopefully, please God, will be like in temple times. And I think also in these mitzvos, it's important for us to try to glean some sort of insight that can be relevant to us because, as we have discovered, these mitzvos have a lot of insight and lessons that can be applicable to us even in a non-temple world. Now, these mitzvos relate to the meal offering that comes for a sin. So you recall a few mitzvahs ago, we talked about the variable sin sacrifice. There are certain sins that the kind of sacrifice that they engender hinge upon the financial wherewithal of the person, of the sinner. And a pauper would bring a meal offering as their version of a sin sacrifice. And regarding that sacrifice, the meal offering that comes as a means of atoning for a sin, regarding those sacrifices, we have these two mitzvos, namely the prohibition against adding oil, olive oil, and frankincense to those meal offerings. So mitzvah number 125 is against oil. You don't put oil on the meal offering of a sinner. And mitzvah number 126 is you don't put frankincense on the meal offering of a sinner. Now, what exactly is frankincense? So the art scroll book of Sefer Chinuch has a nifty little definition, and it tells us like this. Uh, frankincense is a resinous substance derived from the sap of certain trees, which hardens into granules and burned as incense. So if we have a sin offering, and this is of the meal variety, and this is brought by a pauper, a rich person would never bring a meal offering as a sin sacrifice. There are two differences between this meal offering and all other meal offerings. On all other meal offerings, you would have oil and frankincense. And for this one, for the meal offering of a sinner, you omit oil and frankincense. Now, the Sefer Chinuch, the book that we are using to navigate the mitzvos, he gives us two, I think, very beautiful reasons behind this mitzvah. Of course, we know that the real reason for all the mitzvos is because the Mai tells us, and there's probably infinite reasons for it. But nevertheless, the Sefer Chinuch always strives to find, to discover a reason that can resonate in the human intellect, in the human experience, for each one of the 613 mitzvos. And he offers two very nice, very beautiful reasons for these mitzvos. The first thing he tells us is that oil connotes greatness 
and stature. As we know, if you mix oil with any other liquid, the oil always flows to the top. And that, of course, is the way it is naturally. But we know that the Almighty created nature. And if he created the reality that oil floats above water and other liquids, that is an indication that oil contains some sort of greatness, some sort of stature above other liquids. And then he adds that it's well known that good oil is prestigious. And that's why someone who ascends to greatness is anointed with oil. Moshe, the Torah tells us, is instructed to make the anointing oil. And this is a special concoction, but of course the base of it is olive oil. And this is going to be used to anoint kings and high priests and the tabernacle and its vessels. There is a prohibition against replicating this anointing oil. We talked about it already previously in the mitzvah podcast. But why is oil used to anoint, to inaugurate, to coronate a king, a high priest, the tabernacle, the vessels of the tabernacle? Why? Because oil is special. And olive oil is the most special of all the oils. And if you want to connote, if you want to indicate their specialness, there is grandeur, there is distinction, there is a heightened stature in a given thing, the way that it's done is by pouring oil upon it. And therefore, if we have a sinner, this is a person that violated the will of the Almighty. The Almighty said, don't do something. And this sinner transgressed the Almighty's explicit instruction. Is it fitting to take oil the material that connotes grandeur and and, and monarchy and elevation and stature and distinction, is it fitting for a sinner to have that sort of ingredient in their sin offering? It's not fitting at all. A sinner needs to be in a posture of repentance. You have to feel a little broken, a little regretful, due to the transgression. Of course, we know the sacrifices, as we've talked about in the past, they're really all about repentance. And repentance is about feeling regretful of acknowledging, recognizing the mistake that you made and the distance that that mistake created between you and your Creator and the Almighty and feeling a little bit bad about that and regretful about that and trying to make amends for that, and realizing that your deeds led you astray, taking oil, and for that matter, frankincense, and having that part of the experience is just not appropriate, because the posture you have to have is one of regret and repentance. And therefore, things that symbolize elevation and grandeur and high stature are not fitting for the sinner. Of course, this idea applies to the meal offering of a sinner, but it also applies to us, that we have to recognize in the event that we, God forbid, sin, that we had or that we choose 
a path that is problematic if we make choices, if we make decisions that are in violation of the will of the Almighty, and we want to repent, and we want to rectify, and we want to improve, and we want to amend our ways, part of that is the feeling of regret, is the feeling of remorse, and that is, I think, a lesson that can be used for us. So that's the first reason that the Sefer Chinuch offers for the mitzvah, mitzvah, these two mitzvahs, 125 and 126, to omit oil and frankincense in the meal offering of a sinner. And then he adds a second reason. Who brings a meal offering as a sin sacrifice? It's only a pauper. If the person was wealthy, they'd bring either birds if they were middle class, or they would bring an animal, a more substantial, more expensive sacrifice to atone for their transgression. So this person is poor. And perhaps another reason why this particular offering does not require oil and frankincense is to not encumber the pauper to bring oil. Oil connotes distinction. It's also pricey. It's also expensive. And the Almighty does not encumber any creation. Now, for this reason, says the Sefer Hinoch, the pauper is asked to only bring a bit of flour. And flour, after all, it is the basic of the human diet. And everyone has a bit of flour. But the other things, the other ingredients that typically accompany a meal offering, the more expensive oil and frankincense, that is not required from the pauper. Now, how much flour would a person bring when they bring a sin offering of the meal variety? So the Torah tells us they have to bring an isaron. Now, what exactly is an isaron? So the Talmud calculates that it's 43.2 eggs volume of flour. Now, there's a lot of spirited debate as to the size of the eggs and the times of the Talmud. You know, with, with weights and measures, it's, it's really hard for us to perpetuate the amount of volume to future generations, which is why you have things like a foot, which is the size of a human foot. And of course, if you have large feet, maybe larger than a foot. And if you have small feet, it may be smaller than a foot. But this is emblematic of the problem that you have with weights and measures. And therefore, when you look in the Torah's sources on weights and measures, it has things like an, an olive's volume, an egg's volume. Well, how big is an olive? Is it a, a juicy one, a large one? Maybe the Greek olives are different than the Italian ones. Who knows how much variety and maybe how much things have changed. You go to the supermarket and you can find, you know, small eggs and orange eggs and extra large eggs and super extra deluxe eggs. There's a lot of debate, a lot of literature about this problem, but to simplify it, about five pounds of flour is what is brought with a meal offering. Now, typically, as we mentioned, 
meal offerings, all other meal offerings, they also have to bring oil. How much oil? So they have to bring a log of oil. Well, how much is a log? To simplify it, it's about six eggs volume or about a half a liter of olive oil and a fistful of frankincense. But of course, in this mitzvah, in these mitzvos, 125 and 126, we're told that for this particular meal offering, the one offered by a sinner, these two ingredients that are present in all other meal offerings are omitted. They don't bring not oil and not frankincense. Now, one more idea in the Talmud, which is interesting and germane to us as well, is the following. You know, we as a people, we all kind of believe in the concept of upward mobility. Even if, you know, you're a poor immigrant and you come to Ellis Island and you have nothing and you're working at a textile factory, but you have a plan. You know, you got a Jewish brain. You have a plan. Eventually, you're going to open up a competitor and you'll take over your old job and you'll expand nationwide and you'll scale up the business. It's, I think, undeniably true that uh, we have a penchant for, for business. So maybe you would say, well, if someone's poor, they're, they're poor now, but their future prospects are, are very good. And maybe, you know, in half a year, there, there's little startup ideas and they gain some traction and they'll get some investment and they'll scale up and they'll start making real money. So if you have a person who today is poor and today cannot afford to bring two birds, certainly not to bring an animal as a sin sacrifice, maybe they should wait it out. Give me six months. Give me 12 months. I have a plan. We're going to work it out. We're going to improve. We'll have all the money in the world. Certainly enough money to pay for the more expensive sacrifice. Says the Talmud, we don't make that calculation. A mitzvah in its proper time is more beloved and we don't wait until you become wealthy. I remember once I had the opportunity to study with someone. He wanted to meet really early at a time when honest people are still sleeping. And uh, I had a lot of stuff going on. This was about, you know, seven, eight years ago. And I had some things that I was working on and some projects that were unfinished. I said, listen, when I finish those projects, when I have some breathing room, then we'll, we'll start our study session. And he said, listen, you're never going to have that breathing room. Now is the best time to start. Don't wait until later. That is the modus operandi of the Yetzirah. You know, we're about to embark on the festival of Passover of Pesach. And of course, the mitzvah of the festival and the, the image of the festival, the eponymous mitzvah of the festival is matzah. And matzah is just bread. It's just flour and water. With one crucial difference between matzah and non-matzah bread. And that is speed. You don't allow the 
the matzah to sit and to leaven and to rise because then it's not matzah anymore. It is chametz. And the verse tells us that we cannot allow our matzos to become chametz. And Rashi quotes from our sages. He says, well, the word matzos is spelled the same way as the word mitzvos. And even though the verse is talking about matzos, don't allow the matzah to become leaven. Don't wait around and allow time to interfere and intervene in the process of the matzah bread making. So the verse is talking about matzah, but it's equally true with respect to mitzvos. If you want to do a mitzvah, you have to realize that if you allow time to elapse, if you dither and dilly-dally, then it's going to become chametz. And just as chametz is inadmissible to the Pesach Seder or to the whole festival of Pesach, of course, once a matzah becomes tainted, once there's time that it's injected, then it's already problematic. And it's quite likely that you won't be able to deliver on said mitzvos. The sages tell us that one of the nicknames of the Yetzirah is the leaven in the bread. Se'or Shebe'isa. What the Yetzirah does, says, oh, you want to do a mitzvah, but let's wait. Wait until things are better, until the times are more propitious. Wait a little bit. It'll be even better then. And that's injecting the leaven in the matzah, and it's corrupting it. So you're poor, and we're all poor compared to what we maybe imagine will be in the future. And this could apply, by the way, to other areas, not just financially. You know, we think spiritually, I'm poor spiritually. I don't know so much. I'm not well-educated. I'll wait until I'm a total expert, until I start doing the mitzvahs properly. That is the advice of the leaven in the bread. Don't allow mitzvos to fester, to wait until they're baked. Bake them right away. That is another lesson of this mitzvah. Now, I will tell you that this is the second time that I'm recording this podcast. As you perhaps know, the mitzvah podcast is delivered in front of an audience my Sunday morning class that we have here from the Torch Center in Houston, Texas. But this past week, I had the great privilege of going to Jerusalem. My oldest brother was marrying off his son, so my nephew was getting married. So I had the great privilege of traveling to Jerusalem to join in the festivities. And I told my class, the Sunday morning class, as well, we're going to have the class. I'm going to be in Jerusalem. So I'm not going to be in my home. I'm not going to be in the Torch Center in Houston, Texas. But I'll, I'll find a place that has some decent internet. And you know what? I'm not going to bring my microphone and my recording apparatus. I'll just uh, record from my phone. The audio won't be as great as maybe the audience is used to, but they can manage. It's good enough. Problem is I had a really hard time finding some decent internet. And when my brother said, oh, you can use my computer, it was great, but there's a lot of noise in the background. And then my young nephew, the younger brother of the groom, 
he heard some commotion in the office, so he came and he snuggled up next to me. And uh, shall we say the audio was not great. So I decided, you know what? I'm back in the Torch Center right now. And for the benefit and the audio pleasure of the Mitzvah Podcast audience, I'll re-record it and give y'all, hopefully, an A-plus experience. But I will say that when I was in Jerusalem, I had the great privilege of visiting the Western Wall, the Kotel, the last remnant of the Second Temple. And I told my son, who was with me, that hopefully next time we're here, the Temple will be rebuilt. And of course, that's something we've been saying for a long time. Our nation has been saying that for many generations. But we hope that this will be the final generation before the Messiah. And we will, in fact, be able to see the temple in action. And maybe, who knows, we will have the great fortune of witnessing these mitzvos and all the mitzvos, really, of Leviticus in action. May it come speedily in our days. As always, my email address is rabbiwalby at gmail.com. Recording now from the Torch Center in Houston, Texas. Send me your comments, your questions, and your feedback to rabbiwalby at gmail.com.